0: Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea
1: Ballard in Olympia, Washington.
0: Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. Back in November, we indulged our love of geometry while baking all things round. Now this month, we're declaring it's hip to be square. First up is the brownies' fun-loving sister. That's right, we're making blondies and giving an ingredient we discovered all the way back in episode 14, a starring role. And since we had so much fun back in May with Made It Myself Month, we're tackling one more pantry staple we bet you'll use in almost all of your baked goods. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk.
1: Stefan, do you recall back in episode 125, I mentioned that I was going to try and make some peanut butter cookies mm-hmm. for Father's Day, mm-hmm. and I might use a meat mallet.
0: I do. It seemed very dramatic way to make the, the very peanut butter dramatic. cookies.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, the fun thing about it is, uh, of course, I picked this particular item because my husband loves peanut butter so much, yeah. so I was thrilled when listener Rosemary also known as my mother-in-law, <laughs> uh, sent me a message. And she said, here's what I always use to make the pattern on top of the peanut butter cookies. OK. The thing that you use in the food processor to push the items down, uh-huh. the bottom of it kind of has that a circular ridge in multiple concentric rings. I don't know if concentric is the right word there. It just sounded good. <laughs>
0: Well, you're sounding very geometrical. You're already on theme. So well done with that. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I know exactly. The little, mine's plastic. Yes. The plunger thing. Yes. Yeah, it does. It has, mine has like lines on it. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So I thought that was such a clever tip. So I wanted to share that with our listeners. I also wanted to actually look up the name of that item because one thing I'm learning from my 13-year-old is I don't know the names of many things. She loves to point this out to me. (laughs) So of course, I called it the food processor pusher thingy. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, My mother-in-law just wisely sent me a photo of it. Yeah. So I saw the photo. I knew immediately what she was talking about. And I thought, I wonder wonder what the real name of that is. So can you guess? It's not plunger? That's what I call it. Yeah, I think plunger, it might be called with some brands. But with the Cuisinart specifically, and if you were to reorder the part. okay,
0: pusher downer thinger, and it's not that, and it's not plunger.
1: (laughs) Gosh, I mean... (laughs) You got me. It is close. And so I do want to give myself some credit. Okay, You know, often thinger and thingy are not used in product names. I don't know why.
0: I've noticed Mm -hmm. that myself. Does it
1: at least start with P? It does. Okay, Well, points points to us for that. Points for that. It is called the small pusher (laughs) to differentiate it from the large pusher, which is the piece that it slides into. The sleeve is kind of how I think of it. I actually have
0: two food processors and my one only has one pusher and it has <laughs> lines on the bottom. My big one has now what you are telling me is the large pusher and the small pusher. And you're right. The small pusher has rings. It's the
1: small pusher with rings that listener Rosemary uses. So,
0: But Rosemary, I would like to tell you that the small pusher with the lines would also work.
1: And listeners, I am fascinated to know what other, you know, thrifty finds you have in your kitchen to create patterns on the top of peanut butter or other cookies. Because I just had so much fun once she pointed that out to me, sort of looking around my kitchen at different things and thinking, oh, I could use
0: that. I could use that. I think we could make a hilarious PDF, Andrea, that was people's casual names for real things.
1: Oh, I like that. Wouldn't that
0: be funny? Yeah. Like, you know, the, the pusher downer thingy, yeah. the plunger. Yes, that would be hilarious. <laughs> the word thingy would be
1: in heavy rotation. It
0: would. Indeed, it would. Hey, Andrea, it's summertime. You and I are both huge readers. We know that many folks in our preheated community are as well. And I wanted to talk about some novels I came across recently. Many of our preheaters may be familiar with this, but it was news to me. There is a novelist, Joanne Fluke, She has more than 25 food and specifically baking-related novels. Have you heard of any of these, Andrea? The chocolate cream pie murder, the raspberry Danish murder, the banana (laughs) cream pie mystery. All of her books are said to include, like, 20 original recipes. And the latest one, I mean, listen to this and tell me you're not just, like, on the edge of your seat, as a deadly mystery unfolds in Lake Eden, professional baker, and amateur sleuth Hannah Swenson must dish out justice before someone takes a slice out of her. <laughs> I can't wait to know more. And I also heard they may be the basis for a show on the Hallmark Channel called Murder, She Baked.
1: Yes, and that is okay. how I know of these mysteries. I've not ever read these, but these cozy mysteries, as they are called, yes. are the basis for Murder, She Baked on the Hallmark Channel with Allison Sweeney. Now, as you know, I am a Hallmark devotee around Christmas time, but I do not spread that love throughout the year. Yeah. So I've only seen one of these. I think I just saw it by accident, and it is aptly named because it reminded me so much of Murder She Wrote. You know, the, that great show with Angela Lansbury. Oh, of course, yes. Because this poor woman, professional baker and amateur <laughs> sleuth, no matter where she goes or what she does, someone dies. Mayhem <laughs> follows. <laughs> I've often thought, you know, I thought this back when I would occasionally watch Murder She Wrote and of course I thought it when I was watching this show. Who would be friends with this woman? <laughs> because <laughs> she seems like she trouble. She seems like trouble to me. I I would avoid
0: Well, I was just really intrigued to know that the books themselves had 20 recipes. I mean, she's not only writing a gripping murder mystery, but she's also writing recipes. I got to check this out at least once and see what's going on. Yeah,
1: I think that would be fun. I wonder if she makes her own recipes. You know, I'm so fascinated with that after I read about Jan Karen and how she said listeners kept asking her about the recipe for the orange marmalade cake from the Mitford series books. And she said, it's fiction. I don't have a recipe. I'm not a baker. You know, make it yourself kind of thing. I wonder if Joanne Fluke really is a baker and came up with these recipes or if she did like Jan Karen did and you know, hired a recipe developer and got someone to help her with that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And listeners, if you have experience reading any of Joanne's books and any in particular you really love and we should check out, please do let us know.
1: Well, I cannot let a discussion of summer reading and books and food and baking go by without a mention of one of the newest releases. It is Ruth Reichel's Save Me the Plums. Stefan, have you heard of this book? Completely, yes, heard of this. I'm always on the lookout for when Ruth is out with a new book. And this woman
0: is quite prolific. This has got to be like her dozenth book or something, don't you think?
1: I think so. You know, we talked about her fiction debut, which was called Delicious, back in episode 118. Yeah. And what I'm fascinated with is it appears that Delicious is the fictional version and Save Me the Plums is the nonfiction version. Because, of course, Ruth Reichel was the, what would you call it, executive... Head, I don't know.
0: Well, she was the editor-in-chief, right? Thank you. Yeah, of Gourmet Magazine.
1: I knew there was a word for the person at the top of a magazine, but I couldn't remember it. The editor thingy. Person at the top thingy. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, when Gourmet closed down, you know, that was her role. So, yeah. So, of course, Delicious was about a young woman working at this fancy Gourmet Magazine, and it was shut down and about all the -the behind-the-scenes stuff. I think it would be really fun for a book club to take both Save Me the Plums and Delicious and maybe have half the members read one and half the members read the other or have everyone read both if they're an ambitious group and talk about the differences between the two books and, you know, where the real life sort of stories were used and Delicious uh, compared to the things that she made up. I think that'd be really fun. But I'm on the list to get Save Me the Plums. I haven't grabbed it yet, but I cannot wait to read it.
0: Yeah, if it holds like several of her other nonfiction,s it will include some recipes. So you'll have to let us know because Mm. I dearly love that about her memoirs. And of course, Garlic and Sapphire is one of her memoirs about being the New York Times food critic is still one of my all-time favorite food memoirs. So yeah, I'll have to check that out this
1: summer. Yeah, me too. Ever since you introduced that one to me, I've got quite a few recipes I use from that particular book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really great.
0: Well, Andrea, you alluded to our theme at the top of our banter. We had so much fun doing our round month back in November when we were celebrating our second anniversary. And we thought, you know, geometry, it's not just for mathematicians. (laughs) Bakers (laughs) like us can get in on this game. So we are doing an entire month devoted to square bakes. And of course, as you might imagine, The floodgates can really be opened when you go down this route. This
1: rabbit hole of squareness, yes.
0: This rabbit hole of squareness. But Andrea, do you remember how much fun we had back with Round?
1: Yes, of course. Both of our birthdays in November, so we love the month of November. We love to celebrate. Looking back, that started with episode 98 where we made those homemade peanut butter cups Episode 99, Alexandra Stafford's Very Good Bagels, easy-ish too. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Episode 100, oh, my gosh, the sweet potato pie. Yeah. And episode 101, the hummingbird bundt cake. All of those wonderfully round items. I mean, even as I'm listing those four, I don't know that I could list a favorite because I love them all so much.
0: No, we often have very delicious months, but looking back at that list of Mm -hmm. that lineup,
1: it would be incredibly hard to have that have been a blue ribbon month. I don't know what I would have done. I would be a little nervous about it, but we're going to have to figure it out for July because I do believe July is a blue ribbon month. So we are going to have to be picking our favorite square item. I did want to mention a little bit about square items and cakes. You know, when I typically think of a cake, I think of a round cake. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I see a square cake, I always get really excited about it. I wondered if you had any theories or ideas on why cakes are typically round. Wow, that's like a food
0: history question I feel like I should have the answer to. Did it have to do with something about the manufacturing of round cake tins? Ooh, no. I like that,
1: though. Okay. (laughs) And I also had no idea. I had to look this up. So please don't think that I just marvelously knew this answer. Don't tell me that. (laughs) I would have
0: just been like, my friend Andrea, she's so smart.
1: (laughs) No, um, they said that cakes evolved from breads. Mm -hmm. And breads were made from rolling things into balls and then letting them rise, which they just naturally rise into a round shape from a ball. So, yeah, pretty simple. That's it? Yeah, that was it. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> oh, I was waiting for, you know, like a five-minute explanation here. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I mean, lots of kind of quick breadish type things. In fact, here in England, what we think of as like a loaf cake or as a loaf bread, they'll call a loaf cake. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. We <laughs> Simple and fascinating. <laughs> Okay, so let's get down to this very hip to be square month with our first totally square bake. It is cookie butter blondies. (laughs) Blondies are, I think, a lesser known cousin, sister, what have you, to the brownie, which we are both huge fans of. Do you have any more food history for us about a blondie versus a brownie? What's going on there?
1: (laughs) I do. Um... For listeners who don't recall, I think we've talked about this a couple of times in the past, a blondie tends to be more brown sugar and vanilla-based, sort of leaning to that butterscotch flavor, Mm. whereas a brownie is more chocolate and cocoa-based. Okay. But otherwise, they are pretty much the same. Got it. As you might recall, I cannot have... A pan of brownies in my house because I will eat the entire thing. Mm -mm. But oddly enough, Mm -hmm. I'm not the same with blondies. I I enjoy a blondie, don't get me wrong. I think they're fabulous. Yeah. But I don't feel the need to consume the entire pan. (laughs) So I felt these were safe to make.
0: However, when was the last time you made a (laughs) blondie that calls for half a cup of our dear friend cookie butter oh yeah (laughs) you might remember we did our famous and fabulous biscoff pie back in episode 14 of our very first season it remains just a cult favorite episode and bake and here we are again hard to believe we haven't made something with this delicious substance since then but it's back in our homes
1: and that might be a very dangerous thing to add to these blondies Yeah, maybe that's it. It's that I don't keep the cookie butter lying around, whereas I always have, you know, cocoa or chocolate chips or something like that. Yeah. I did look up a little bit about cookie butter because I was just thinking about, you know, what you just mentioned, the fact that we made that episode 14. Gosh, that must have been back... Late 2016, maybe early 2017. Yeah, I think it was for the first pie month. OK. So it would have
0: been February 2017.
1: Okay. That's right. You know, you and I were both new to cookie butter at that point, And I think we had to right. run around and find it at different places. In fact, I was new to Biscoff. You might have been familiar to, with that. But I wasn't even familiar with the cookies. So right. I really enjoyed an article I found in Bon Appetit from 2015 called The Rise of Cookie Butter in the United States. <laughs> So for listeners who are not familiar with what we're talking about, cookie butter is typically a combination of pulverized spice cookies, some sort of fat, which is usually a vegetable oil or even a condensed milk, some flour, and a whole lot of sugar. And then it's, you know, turned into this substance that's a lot like peanut butter. Yeah, exactly. You can, you know, eat it just with a spoon straight out of the jar, or you could put it on top of the cookies that it comes from. And those are the spice cookies. Mm. In this particular recipe, this is from Jenna at the Butternut Bakery. She recommends using the Lotus Biscoff cookie butter. And the Lotus Biscoff spice cookies are also called Speculose cookies. And so I looked up that history and I found it fascinating. So in Belgium, spice cookies are very famous. Yeah. And in fact, they're typically used all throughout the holiday season. Some people call them St. Nicholas cookies. Lotus, the company, partnered with Delta, the airlines, to start having those, those spice cookies on their planes. Oh. But apparently, speculos was hard for us Americans to say. And so they rebranded the name to Biscoff with bis being short for biscuit or cookie and cough being because they were serving it with coffee. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. So I here it is. It's been, what, over two years. I've said Biscoff cookies a million times, and I never realized where that came from. So that is why Lotus named their Biscoff cookies Biscoff.
0: And sounds like one more reason to fly Delta Airlines as far as I'm
1: concerned. <laughs> And you know, I fly Alaska Airlines a lot and they also offer the Speculos cookies.
0: Oh, so that's just maybe a new entry into the aviation world. Speculos is taking over our air travel. Fantastic.
1: I think so. I know. Which I'm okay with. Yeah.
0: You mentioned that the Biscoff cookie brand is what's called for in this recipe, but I have to say I've never seen another brand. I'm sure it might exist, but that's the one that's easily available here in London. the cookies, I know some people make them homemade. Loyal listener Lydia, I know, makes them. As far as the butter goes,
1: I've only ever seen that brand. Have you seen others? Oh, yeah. Oh, you have? OK. And I know why you haven't seen them, because they're huge at Trader Joe's. <laughs> 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 My favorite grocery stores, and not a place that you frequent. So okay, they have their own in-store oh, brand. Sure. So it's just called Beculose Cookie Butter. And they have both a creamy and a crunchy version. So I can... Highly recommend both of those. In this particular recipe, since it just calls for cookie butter, I use the creamy version, but I think the crunchy version would work too. You know, if you're a kind of person who likes nuts in your brownies, I think you might want to see if you can find the crunchy version.
0: Yeah. In addition to that cookie butter, this is pretty straightforward. You have a half a cup of unsalted butter that you're going to melt, that cookie butter, half a cup, one cup of dark brown sugar, a quarter cup of granulated sugar, one egg plus one egg yolk two teaspoons vanilla, a quarter teaspoon salt, one cup of all-purpose flour, and then, interestingly, a half cup of bread flour. Now, that and the fact that there's no leavening are two things that stuck out to me Bread flour has more protein, so it's a stronger flour or a stronger wheat that's being used there. So I'm thinking that adds some structure to what's otherwise a fairly gooey batter. She says it's when you're all said and done and you're pouring it into the pan, it's
1: really going to be like a cookie dough. And dare we say, since you said more protein, that these might be a touch healthier than the traditional brownie? Mm, I'm in. I'll call it. Yes. (laughs)
0: Thank you. We just did brownies for breakfast. Now we can say blondies for breakfast as well. (laughs) (laughs) So aside from that, this looks pretty straightforward. You have a 350 degree Fahrenheit or 177 degrees Celsius oven. There's your 8 by 8 inch square baking pan per our theme. She says an electric mixer is optional, so I might try these by hand since, as you know, getting out my mixer involves also
1: getting out my voltage adapter and this whole kind of very involved process. Well, and especially since she gives the warning in the instructions, don't mix too much air in as these are dense and chewy. Yeah. Sometimes when I use my electric mixer, I sort of set it and forget it. And then I come back and go, ooh, I think I might have mixed too much. So I think I might try just doing it the old-fashioned way in a big bowl with my whisk. You're baking for about 20 to 25 minutes until a toothpick is clean.
0: And then importantly, you are leaving them in the pan to cool for about 30 minutes and then cutting them. She says, into 12 or 9 pieces, depending on how hungry you are. I might say one piece. These sound
1: pretty great to me. Yeah, I love, <laughs> I love that instruction as well. So I have never made a cookie butter, a balondi. You know, we have used the cookie butter a couple of times in our recipes. I just find that when it's in my pantry, I don't typically have enough to use in a recipe because it just sort of disappears, spoonful by spoonful, I think. I know. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's so great (laughs) on everything. If,
0: If you haven't tried this product, it's a great entry point because you are making a great dish with it, but you will have some leftovers to give that a try. I am really looking forward to our first square bake, Andrea. Thanks again to Jenna at the Butternut Bakery blog. And remember, we will have a link to that recipe in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 131, on our website, preheatedpodcast.com.
1: Well, Stefan, since we're talking about blondies being more vanilla-based, I am wondering if you have noticed the price of vanilla extract in the stores lately. I just
0: restocked, so I do. Uh, Nielsen Massey is a brand I purchased in the States. It's also available here in the UK, and right now it's £5.50 for 60 mils. And that translates to about $7 for two ounces. It's actually a little cheaper than what I pay in the States for a comparable bottle, but it's still not a bargain buy.
1: Yeah, I was recently in New Orleans, and I splurged on some Ronald Reginald Pure Vanilla Extract. It's made from prime bourbon Madagascar vanilla beans, and it was, wait for it, $25 for eight ounces or one cup. Whew! Now you'll know why I'm interested in our next topic, which is making your own homemade extracts. (laughs) (laughs)
0: And we can make more than just vanilla at home. I recall listener Valerie posted in our Facebook group during the holidays, she'd made some homemade vanilla and cinnamon extracts. They were so beautiful and so professional looking. Oh yes.
1: Now I'm pretty sure Valerie made her extracts in her Instant Pot and I have an Instant Pot so of course that appealed to me and I'll probably start there. But don't worry, we'll also talk about how you can make your own extracts without an Instant Pot. Okay, good. I'm not sure I'm ready for another UK appliance purchase. Yeah, your voltage adapter is already pretty booked. (laughs) Maxed out, yeah. (laughs) Well don't worry, I've got you covered. Valerie's recipe came from a food blog called Tidbits by Marcy, and she's got a great post with the recipe as well as lots of tips and links to sources for vanilla beans, mason jars, glass bottles. I'll put a link to all of those in the show notes. I found another one on a blog I like called Frida Loves Bread. Oh, Stefan loves
0: bread. <laughs> I know, <right? laughs> Love that name.
1: Yeah. So all of these recipes have basically the same premise. You take vanilla beans, vodka, and then use either time or pressure to extract the flavor.
0: I've wondered about that time aspect. Is that why the Instant Pot is so appealing?
1: Yeah, that's it. If you make a homemade extract without an appliance, it's very easy. You just split your beans, place them in a bottle, add your vodka to submerge the beans, shake it up, and wait eight weeks. The vanilla becomes stronger and more flavorful as it ages. So you'll even see some recipes that tell you to wait three months or six months or 12 months. Oh, wow. However, if you make the extract in your Instant Pot, you can use the same ingredients, but you can start using it that very day.
0: So it's really a matter of planning ahead and knowing when you want to consume your vanilla or give it away.
1: I also found another non-appliance dependent method. It's called the hot soak method in a Cooks Illustrated article from September of 2009.
0: Oh, I love it when Cooks Illustrated tests things for me so I don't have to. Yeah. Since they published an article about it, I'm guessing they determined a hot soak is best.
1: Actually, what is a hot soak? (laughs) Well, I've never done it, but it looks like they heat the vodka before adding it to the vanilla beans. And it does appear that there's a spirited debate. Oh, we're wading into another food fight. The debate is about hot extraction versus cold extraction. And some people would say that the cold extraction process is more pure since the heat of the vodka can alter Mm. some of the subtler flavors of the vanilla.
0: And how many beans are we talking about, by the way? I know the beans aren't much cheaper than the extract to begin with.
1: Yeah, sadly, you are right. I started exploring homemade extract as a money-saving method, but I'm not sure it's actually going to work out that way for me. I've personally found the Costco five-count Tahitian vanilla beans are $22. Mm -hmm. So that's almost $5 each. And a lot of the recipes say you need six to eight beans for each cup of vodka. So,
0: At that rate, it sounds like you're making extract for gifting, fun, and quality control,
1: not a money-saving technique. Yeah, I think that's true. Unless one of our listeners has a secret source for inexpensive vanilla beans, the cost of them is 10 times higher today than it was just a few years ago.
0: I read about this, a combination of the time-consuming and laborious process for growing vanilla, extreme weather hitting areas like Madagascar where 80% of the world's vanilla crops are grown and consumers demanding all natural flavors, they're turning away from artificially flavored vanilla to natural vanilla.
1: Which means demand really is outpacing supply. In the meantime, however, there are some other extracts you can make at home. So I know for me, lemon and mint are two on my list.
0: And I've always wanted to make almond extract.
1: The methods seem very similar, so this would be a really fun place to play around, I think. For lemon extract, you submerge one thinly sliced lemon into one and a half cups of vodka. And you don't have to use a top shelf vodka, but they do recommend you don't necessarily go with the cheapest one available. Maybe start with a mid-range brand and go from there. Mint extract is two cups of washed and chopped mint submerged in four cups of vodka. And almond extract sounds like something I could just whip up from my pantry today. It's just 15 chopped almonds in one and a half cups of vodka.
0: That's so easy and such a small amount of almonds. So I'm just mixing the ingredients in a bottle or a jar, giving them a shake and forgetting about
1: it. Kind of. Some recipes I saw still say it's a good idea to shake it once a week. Okay. And you definitely want to store your jars in a cool, dark place. After a month, go ahead and pop it open and taste it.
0: And do I strain the beans or nuts out of the extract?
1: You can, but you don't have to. The flavors and the colors will get deeper with time and definitely do label your jars so you know what's in there.
0: And speaking of jars, listener Valerie gave us another tip by including a link to the Specialty Bottling Company
1: in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Talk about going down rabbit holes. That bottle website (laughs) was fascinating to (laughs) me. It looks like Valerie used a Blake bottle, which is amber-colored, and that's important for light-sensitive extracts like vanilla. Hmm. Then she added a fancy label and a wax seal to finish things off professionally.
0: Well, you know I love to tackle my homemade canning projects in the summer, so I might add a few of these to my list. That way I'll have my fun holiday gifts all lined up and ready to go come fall and wintertime baking. Listeners, if you make homemade extracts, we'd love to hear about your experience and sources for ingredients. Drop us a note at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com or post in our Facebook group, Preheated.
1: Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and next week we'll see if those cookie butter blondies tempted me to bend my no brownies in the house rule. We'll also intro a no-bake ice cream sandwich perfect for these hot days and clamoring crowds of kids, and we'll talk about what on earth I'm going to do with a bumper crop of lemons. Thanks so much to Anne-Marie Russell for supplying our theme music. You can find Anne-Marie at annemarierussell.com and on Amazon and iTunes. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. And if you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our podcast. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Hosted and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn, in association with 24th Floor Productions. Did you want to add something else there? No. <laughs> okay.